Hey, 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 it's October 19th, 2021. This is episode 13 of the More Math for More People podcast. Cheers. Hello, I'm Joel. And I'm Misty. And this is More Math for More People, brought to you by CPM Educational Program. This podcast supports middle and high school teachers with best practices, relevant research, helpful hints and tips, and anything else that randomly comes to our minds. We hope you find this podcast both entertaining and informative for your math teaching practice. Boom. I'm so excited for today's holiday. Why? What is it? It's National New Friends Day. What? Yeah. National New Friends Day. National New Friends Day. And hmm. it's kind of funny because it's there's quite a few Friend Day holidays, like the International yeah. Day of Friendship, Just Friendship Day, wow. Make a New Friend Day. There's <laughs> a, it's a whole list of them. It's a whole theme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really like holidays like this, uh, looking at the history of it, because mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting how somebody w- once asked me, are these holidays for real or are they advertisements? And I kind of think most of them are advertisements to begin with anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, even thinking of kind of some big ones like um, Halloween. Halloween. No. <laughs> Is it, it's probably the costume <laughs> people or something. You yeah. know, there, mm-hmm. There's other things behind them as well. But sure. it's just kind of interesting to see that the greeting card business kind of put this out there as a holiday, hmm. just to think about friendship. And that's what I like most about it. I think not only meeting new friends, but just solidifying the friendships you already have as oh, a okay. memory. I also like that Winnie the Pooh is the symbol of world friendship. I thought that really? was interesting too. Yeah. Winnie the Pooh is the symbol of world friendship. Yep. Hmm. Pretty cool. Interesting. I always wonder if there's an official approval process for national days. Like, is there like a secret committee that approves them and you have to go through some application process to get a national day? Or do you just declare it and advertise, you know, basically promote it, put it on social medias and, you know, then it just becomes yeah. part of the lexicon. I'm interested in that because we talked earlier about like the emojis that has that. Mm. There's a committee. There's like a council that approves. That's right. The emojis, but on the my resource that I use, kind of look at what holiday it is. There are some days without holidays. I've seen one, and there is what? a link to submit your holiday to the site. Ooh, but I don't know if interesting this would be an official committee like the emoji committee. Well, if we come across a day that doesn't have an official day, we should make it the more math for more people day. Absolutely, that would be really cool. And people would celebrate by listening to this podcast 24-7, like a marathon. And doing lots of really cool math. <laughs> That's right. You can celebrate by doing all these really cool math so problems. Maybe maybe share some math jokes or something. Oh, yeah. Math jokes are good, too. So we're going to do our study team and teaching strategy today, which is a reciprocal teaching. So tell us about that, Joel. 
So reciprocal teach is an uh, activity that can be done anytime during class. So if you're thinking we just need to solidify an idea or help each other kind of reflect on this idea, this would be a great time to do that as a closure, even in the middle of class, whenever you're ready. And reciprocal teach is where students are typically in pairs and person number one pretends that person number two is absent and explains that concept to them. After that explanation, they switch roles and um, person number two then pretends person one was absent and so on and so forth. And then the teacher just circulates to listen in and kind of uh, formatively assess what their students know and don't know. Okay. And so we're going to do that today All right. around some ideas. So I'm going to, I'm going to pretend that you were absent when I was talking about implementation support visits the other day. Oh, Okay. And so uh, I'm going to, I'm going to teach you about that. Okay. So Misty, I noticed you were absent the other day when I talked about implementation support visits. I had the flu. I hope you're feeling better. A little bit. Oh, good. Good. I'm just going to, I'm just going to explain what they are to you and then so that you can get that information. Excellent. So uh, implementation support visits are support that CPM provides for teachers who are implementing CPM within their first two years of implementation, each teacher can receive up to four visits. So one in the fall, one in the spring mm-hmm. for two years. And during that visit, uh, they could just get feedback from what the CPM employee sees, have conversations, answer any questions, help through the process of implementation. Cause there are definitely a lot of questions that come up, a lot of mm-hmm. pieces to the CPM puzzle. Cool. All right. Do I get to ask questions? Is that part of the reciprocal teach? Well, it doesn't say that, but oh, I guess okay. you could. Well, I just I just want to clarify. Yeah. I mean, it's not a dyad, right? So I can. It's not a dyad. That's true. If you were being unclear, I could ask questions. Yes, you could. You well, I don't have any questions. I okay. think that's good. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's cool. That sounds great. Yeah. Okay. Now what? Are you, oh, well, you now to do the other you're part. a person too. So you have to yes. teach me. I was absent when you talked oh. about something. Oh, so so Joel. Oh, yeah. Now that I'm person two and you're yeah. person one, well, you were all we were that person before. But anyway, mm-hmm. I noticed that you were absent when we talked about coaching. I was. I was in the office. Oh, I'm sorry. I hope you didn't get in too much trouble. No. Okay, good. I'm going to tell you about coaching. Okay. So CPM does coaching for teachers, and it's different than support visits for in a couple of ways. One, it's usually we do it for teachers who have already finished at least one year of work in their course. So they kind of seen how it all goes in the learning progression and they're sort of getting more settled into using CPM. The second thing is that it's, it is more intensive than um, support visits. We use a model of transformative coaching and we do planning and observations and then debriefing with teachers around a specific goal that they pick for the year. And that goal is related to the NCTM principles to action effective math teaching practices. So they cool. pick one of the practices that they want to do work on and focus on. And then the, the coach will do four coaching rounds with the teacher throughout the year. It's really a pretty intensive and pretty um, fabulous way to get that sort of closer mentoring support to work on a particular instructional practice over the course of the year. That sounds great. Yeah. I kind of noticed that support visits come with the implementation. How would somebody get involved with coaching? So coaching is uh, fee-based. So people, districts or schools, sites um, request coaching uh, for a particular number of teachers. And then we do a quote for them based on that. Then the school can decide, you know, that they want to pay for that or not use various funds for it. Uh, In the past, we've had grants 
Um, we don't have grants this particular year, but in the future, we might also have CPM underwrite some of the costs for coaching as well, and people can apply for a grant. One other thing that I wanted to mention is that CPM also has virtual coaching options. So if you want to do that, you can have a coach coach your teachers virtually. We have a swivel robot that records the classroom and all the conversations. And so you can do that remotely also. Other thing that I really want to say is that research shows that embedded coaching and professional learning is the most effective thing at changing instructional practice. Coaching is the next step. It's the next thing to take your instructional practice to the next level. Awesome. Thank you for filling me in. So we're here today with Dr. Leslie Dedeker. Dr. Dedeker is an associate professor of mathematics education at the Wheelock College of Education and Human Development at Boston University. She teaches courses in mathematics and pedagogy to future high school mathematics teachers, as well as research and theories in mathematics curriculum to master's and doctoral students. She is an elected board member of the International Society of the Design and Development of Education and is on the advisory board of the CPM Educational Program. Dr. Dieterker also designs and leads professional development for schools and districts in the Boston region. Uh, Dr. Dieterker taught high school mathematics and computer science at a public high school in San Francisco, California for 17 years. Uh, she has received a national board certification... <laughs> and is also a lead author of seven CPM textbooks. So welcome, Leslie, yeah, and welcome. thank you for being here with us today on the podcast. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me. Um, I, I'm doing well. You are involved with the writing and editing of CPM courses for some time and have been instrumental in the development of pretty much all the current courses. One of my first memories of you was when we were working on the Making Connections writing project in Davis in 2008. And this was the very first time that I had ever heard of a mathematical storyline. And this is a pretty important feature of CPM courses, turns out. So I would love to hear what you could tell us about mathematical storylines. What are they and why are they important? It's so interesting. Um, thank you for those memories. Uh, <laughs> you know, I got to say, it uh, brings me back. Back then, the mathematical storyline was really kind of a conceptualization that I think supported uh, my thinking in how content can unfold in, um, you know, in a textbook or in my classroom. And what I, I remember vividly back in those days where we were really talking about tasks and lessons and chapters and books is that we could talk about those things. So those things we had words for, we had words for definitions and, you know, um, you know, if we wanted to have some kind of exposition where we define something, we had, you know, toolkits or we had math boxes or things like that. We have words for mm -hmm. tangible items of curriculum materials, but it was really, there was limitations in terms of language for thinking about how mathematics evolves and changes, um, across a lesson. And when, um, when I would think about, how certain choices might set up or not set up or ruin um, <laughs> a development of a lesson, some kind of, you know, like mathematical progression, 
uh, I didn't have any language for it. And I think it was, I, I can't remember which textbook I was working on where I, I finally like maybe hit upon the idea of story, but uh, it, as far as I know, it just kind of evolved over time um, in my thinking. Yeah. So, yeah, I, um, but back then I think it was just kind of language. And then um, uh, I would talk about it with various writers. And I think that we, um, I, I felt like at least it was, it, it was helpful. Um, mm -hmm. Then later I went um, and, and kind of dug into it a little bit more, learning about what narratives are and learning about stories and thinking about them more deeply and realizing how really as, as authors, we had already started to embark on a path of really recognizing the power of thinking this way because mm -hmm. there are a lot of affordances that it helps to shed light on. Mm -hmm. Sure. So if you had to, to sort of describe or define what a mathematical storyline is, how would you succinctly, <laughs> if you can, like say, what, what is it? Where, where would I see it? How would I know what it is? Yeah, well, I think actually what's really important is to first think about what a story is. Mm -hmm. So, for example, thinking about a story like, um, I like to use Wizard of Oz, for example, because a lot of people have, have familiarity with that story. Mm -hmm. And I think about, you know, how the story opens. I'm thinking about the movie. Um, and the story opens and we get introduced to Dorothy and we learn, um, all we learn about her is that she grow, she lives on a farm. She's a young, young female. Uh, she's unsatisfied with where she is and she has these characters around her family members and animals and things. And that's all we know at that point. And so we have to recognize that as a story, we get introduced to things and, you know, what the story is going, the substance of the story, the characters, sure. mm -hmm. the, the things, the setting. And at that point of that story, I don't really know what's going to happen. I might imagine something about it, but I'm really just guessing at straws. Maybe it's about her life. Maybe it's, you know, some, something she, maybe she's going to get an accident. I don't know what it is. And then suddenly the story advances. Mm -hmm. It introduces this tornado and it throws her into this, you know, this new land. And um, suddenly there's all of these strange things happening to her in this new land. And that right there now tells me that uh, the change there is tells me something is now developing about sure. we're, we're now going to see her in this conflict where she is now afraid where she is. Mm -hmm. How is she going to get home? Mm -hmm. And and so the story has done something to us as, as as an audience. It has it has set up a chance for us to wonder. Okay, we know where she lives. She's now far away from that. We don't know anything about where she is. And so now it sets up an opportunity to ask questions and wonder now how things how how she's going to get home. What is this Oz? Who's the who's the wizard? And the rest of the story then is really about answering those questions and and having twists and turns about how the wizard maybe is not actually a wizard. Maybe, you know, we find out he's a fraud, for example, right. but we, we, we think he's a wizard. We now know he's not. Mm -hmm. And so stories work on us by drawing us in and getting us invested in a set of questions. And those questions then are what we then watch the rest of the story or read the mm -hmm. rest of the story to try to figure out. It's a pursuit of truth. So a book or a story kind of sets us into some kind of world of which we then are seeking knowledge or we're seeking truth from it. And so, so if we can take that idea of a story and now think about mathematics, we can see that in mathematics, we also experience things similarly, where we mm -hmm. think about how we might, in a lesson, we might start 
very much like the Wizard of Oz, where we're introducing a triangle or polygon, mm-hmm. or maybe it's a function or something like that. Mm-hmm. And at that point, nothing's happened. Nothing's advanced. All we have is a character. We have a setting. Maybe the parabola is on a graph. Maybe maybe there is um, some details about it. We know about its symmetry and so on. So we have some, some information about it, but nothing's happened. And so there's no way to guess where the story is headed. But mm-hmm. after we, we might suddenly, like in this task with this parabola, we might be given a challenge where we're going to be trying to transform the, the parabola so it accomplishes something like, you know, like, the, for example, find the parabola which where the basketball will go into the hoop or something mm-hmm. like that, of which now there's now there's like something that to look forward to. Can, can we transform it? Suddenly we might start asking questions that then get us invested in trying to figure out some kind of truth in the story. Mm-hmm. Sure. So you asked me for a succinct <laughs> definition, and I realized I've I've already blown right past that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great description. That was so good. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah, I also know you, Leslie. So I knew that, I knew that was a not a really reasonable request, and it's okay. Right. 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 Oh, good. 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 <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess the succinct answer is, you know, kind of just seeing how mathematics unfolds, Mm -hmm. kind of that connects a beginning to an ending so that somebody who's experiencing can kind of sense Mm -hmm. a a through Mm -hmm. line and predict where it's going. I was just going to say, when you were uh, writing that, did you think one book at a time? Because I feel like I see those stories sometimes through many courses. So was that a thought when you were putting Mm -hmm. writing for the books? Yeah, you know, I do see like stories between mm-hmm. and across all of the books. And I was lucky that when we were writing the connections books, at least for the algebra and geometry connections, for example, we were doing them sequentially. So we could, we could take, have that take. Mm-hmm. And same thing with, with the making connections, it was a little harder. We wow. were simultaneously creating the two courses at the same time. And while we did have a, an overarching sense of how, how a story could go, there were so many details in the crafting of those lessons that altered the story stories as we were writing them, that it was really hard to, to, to think that way. And it's, and I think it shows in the, in the way in which the, the courses, there, there might be places where we, we didn't get to take advantage of some aspect of the story because whoever was crafting, let's say, making connections two, didn't yet know how making connections one would end. <laughs> Yeah. And not only that, but then we had revisions that happened. Yeah. Um, pretty, pretty large revisions that happened after first year. And so, so that significantly probably was altered. The, the later courses then that got to, um, take content mm-hmm. and reshape new courses, maybe they had a, um, gotcha. an eye toward that, but I don't know. Yeah. When we took the making connections courses and then sort of pulled them apart and re, you know, sequenced them for common core standards. There were some nice things because we could avoid some of those overlaps that had been in the books because they were trying to meet lots of different standards. And at the same time, we tried to really, really keep that storyline. Like, mm-hmm. unless we had a really good reason to mm-hmm. move the order of the things around or were forced to because of where the standards fell and we had to pull things apart, we tried to really maintain a lot of that storyline that was there and 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 improve it sure. if we could. You know, like sometimes we're like, oh, this would be a great place to add some connections between the pieces that are happening right. um, in right. this course. When I started teaching with CPM, I was using that Making Connections book. And right then they switched to the core connections and then I switched to the integrated. So I... It's interesting to hear this background because how it's all pieced together and the thought process behind that. So that's really cool. Yeah. 
is there's two things I thought about while you're talking. One is I like the idea that the storyline, it's kind of an analogy or a metaphor, but it's not at the same time because the characters, you know, in a story, as I'm learning, like with the example that you gave about Dorothy, I'm learning about the characters as they're doing things in the story, right? As things are happening to them. And as they're responding, I'm learning about, oh, what the cowardly lion is like, and what, you know, what his personality is, and how he behaves and his attributes, basically. And so the in a mathematical storyline, we learn those similar kinds of things about characters that are now mathematical ideas, you know, about what a parabola does and how it behaves. And what if we do this, what happens to it or, you know, different shapes and things. And I, I like that, that similar kind of idea between those two things. Oh yeah. Right. And just like how you can have a story that's, you know, action oriented, for example, um, in a movie, you can also, you know, think about like, what are the mathematical actions? Do we ever have lessons that are really solely squarely, action oriented absolutely mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. but you can also have like a deep ca- character development you know um a lesson on fractals for example or 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 something where it was really around the investigation of the this mathematical object mm-hmm. um my other thought was, as we think of the course as a storyline in the progression, then the teachers kind of become cooperative storytellers with students right mm-hmm. the the teacher is sort of aware of where the story is going. There are other elements to the story and and pieces and perspectives that students might have as they're seeing where the story is going. And so the teacher kind of becomes that sort of storyteller, but not in a telling like this is what happens way, but in a sort of like, hey, this is this is the journey mm-hmm. and kind of kind of join the students in that story. Yeah, yeah. What you're talking what what you're touching on I think is super important cuz because that is a, a risk with using this metaphor is that, you know, people might think of the old school, you know, I'm now going to tell you, tell you the story. Um, and I do think of it more like guerrilla theater where, <laughs> where the audience participates and, and it's a co-construction. But yeah, the teacher may plan the story, right? Or the textbook may have a planned story. But what happens in the classroom, of course, is, is very different. And that's actually where my research is right now. Mm, very cool. So we've talked a little bit about what they are, what they're important, how they've impacted the design of the curriculum. They're deeply embedded in it for sure. What do you think would be an important thing for teachers using CPM to know about mathematical storylines? In addition to this sort of you're not the teller, perhaps part of it, what else do you think teachers would need to know? Yeah, I think, well, one of the things that I I think uh, I, I like at asking teachers to do is to think about the stories they like. And, and think about the variety of stories that maybe they, they hold appreciation for and what, what purposes those different stories serve for them. And then to think about the stories that their mathematics lessons offer and, and try to see that same variety or same, you know, same, um, opportunities. Um, so if usually when I ask teachers what, what kinds of stories they like. You know, I give variations because obviously different people like different kinds of stories. But often they tell me it's going to be something that sucks them in, that they can get invested in, that they they can't put down, mm-hmm. uh, that they um, they want to keep reading. And I and I ask them to think about what would a what would a mathematics lesson have to look like to make you similarly feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and why, you know, why shouldn't we at least try to make that happen? I think that there are 
you know, there are stories that don't grab us. And, you know, I, I, I'm certainly not one to think there's like a, a, a quick fix, right? We can't, we can't make every lesson, you know, it, it would, it would actually be worse if we made every lesson a fabulous story, because then it would get so predictable in that way that it wouldn't work anymore, right? So if you think about it, stories work best when they vary, when they offer us something to, rich to think about, but yet they're not predictable. They're not leading us through the nose. And then, have teachers then apply that reasoning to kind of thinking through what kinds of opportunities they're offering, their, what kinds of stories they're offering in class. So one of the exercises I like to to do, especially with CPM teachers, is to, to look at the stories that we've designed um, within a textbook and start to recognize them for where, what they are. Because, because it's quite possible that you know, with this new metaphor, metaphorical way of looking at a textbook that they, they might see some new affordances. And when I, when I say that, I mean, they might see some opportunities they didn't originally recognize. If, if I think back on my long teaching career and I think about the various ways that I, I interacted with textbook materials, I can remember times when actually I would turn to a textbook and say, okay, now, I need a task. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need I need something to introduce this idea. Or maybe I'm I'm opening up a textbook and saying, okay, well, what can I assign for homework? Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm saying, okay, what materials do I need to to go get ready? But so there are various questions we ask of our curriculum materials when we when we interact with them, right? They're 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 a resource, they're a tool. Mm-hmm. And so what's a potential story is one of the questions we can ask. We can say, okay, let me, let me see what, what, what are the possibilities here for how I might make mathematics like awe? How could I give my students a sense of awe? Mm-hmm. Or could I, can I create a suspense? Or is there any opportunity for surprise or possibly other kinds of aesthetic experiences that when we think about stories that move us, we might recognize those are powerful moments mm-hmm. for us. And then they might notice that we've actually, not every single lesson, right, Mm -hmm. but that we've created opportunities for surprise and for suspense and for for wondering, for curiosity. Yeah. One of the things that I remember when we were writing that we would often do is we would, what if? Well, what if we changed the order of these two ideas? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. like I think we, many of us, we kind of grew up with some sort of like, oh, you teach this, then this, then this, then this, right? This sort of progression of whatever traditional learning it was. And we did a little bit of, well, what if, what if we did this lesson or this idea first? How might that change the way kids engage with this next concept? And there were sometimes, and I think that's one of the, in my opinion, one of the most amazing things about the geometry book is the doing of symmetry before congruence. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that, that just that whole idea of like, oh, well, we're going to investigate this. And then this other idea comes out of it. And sometimes it, it's that is one of the big challenges when teachers when they're first implementing because they're like, well, that's not the order it's supposed to be, because they're used <laughs> to some other story. And, and then but kids don't know that story and kids can, can engage in these ideas in a different way and with the tools that they have at that moment. And I, I love how we really like thought about those ideas because everyone else was like, Oh, but this would be great because then they could think about this and this and this. It reminds me of learning tangent before sine and cosine. Yeah. Too. Yeah. It's totally. like just a different way of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So much in math too has that idea anyway. Like numbers are, were discovered because what if this thing would happen? Mm hmm. We're saying it can't, but what if it could? And then we learn so much more. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I gotta say, uh, you're, you're bringing me back. I, I want to credit um, one of our 
CPM writers uh, from long ago, Carlos Cabana, who who I worked with on many of uh, the early textbooks, Algebra Connections, for, for sure. But even before that, I remember working with him on calculus and having deep discussions around how we were going to sequence content. And it was just such a pivotal moment. I think like while I was completely on board with totally changing the kinds of experiences students had with mathematics and really trying to think about what would a calculus textbook look like if it was completely problem-based, that, that's where my head was. And I remember distinctly mm-hmm. discussions around how we were going to start and everything that I was coming up with was from my pre-existing beliefs of, of sequence of what content mm. uh, of mm-hmm. calculus, you know, you have to, of course, start with limits and then you get, you do continuity and then you, you know, yada, yada. Like, and he, at one point, like in the middle of a discussion, he's like, I think I just realized that you're assuming we're going to start this sequence and, and, and I'm not assuming that. Like, why not start with integration? And I'm like, you know, like it was like a bomb detonated. I, I, I did not <laughs> mm-hmm. see that coming. And, uh, and I, I wasn't quite, quite honestly, I wasn't, you know, like, I wasn't accepting it for a little while. I, I had to really think through it and talk about it. Um, and, and then suddenly I realized, yeah, why don't we? And that's actually Change, why the calculus hard. book, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it takes time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I had my own little time and, and it was, he was, he was right. Like, that's the fascinating part. Let's get, let's get them involved in, in area under a curve. Why not start there? And then we could develop limits through that. Yes. Why not do that? Um, and it suddenly, it was like everything then changed after that for me. It was like I, I, I suddenly realized I need to I need to let go of whatever whatever content I uh, assumptions that I have. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Leslie. We really appreciate this time with you. Anything else you you're like? Oh, I wanted to make sure I said this. Yeah, I I think. I think that one of the the things that we need to do as teachers is we need to listen to ourselves. And when we notice that we have opportunities and we recognize, oh, gosh, I don't want that student to share that idea yet because that's going to, to what what sometimes I think the, the phrase is, is, you know, give away the punchline, I guess, is the way I think sometimes teachers think of it. That that's a recognition that we see opportunities for for moments of surprise or for um, deep wonder, and that those those are the things we can lean into. I think that that kind of is what all of us probably can tangibly recognize that has happened to us, and in many ways, those are the voices um, inside us that give us an opportunity to recognize how is this happening? How are we seeing, you know, like how, how come I can recognize this moment here and maybe start to turn that into more deliberate choices that we make when we start planning our Mm -hmm. lessons um, or deliberate things that we do within class. Thank you so much. So that was super fun talking to Leslie. That was really great. I, I learned so much just listening to him talk. It was great. <laughs> I spent a lot of time, two different summers in Davis when we were doing the writing project in 2008 and 2009, working with Leslie. And she, she always challenged us. Like yeah. we'd be writing and doing all these things and we'd be, and then she would come in and sometimes I'd be like, Oh, it'd be so aggravating because we'd get all these ideas. And then she'd be like, <laughs> I wonder if we did, what if we did this instead? And, and we'd be like, and then later we'd go, Oh, that's brilliant. You know? So she, she was great at, at challenging our ideas and just getting us to think big and always 
always pushing in a, mm-hmm. in a very loving and kind way, but also not accepting just something less. And right. it was, it was great. I bet it, it's fun to hear what that background a little bit, but while she was talking, it just made even more sense about mm-hmm. sticking to the story <laughs> and not yeah. skipping parts of the story and, and or, or going off on a side shoot to the story, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, don't go, don't go get popcorn. Stay yeah, with the story. <laughs> exactly. It makes me think also of like, uh, so if I'm reading a story, sometimes that's a sequel, right, to another story. Okay. How mm-hmm. much of the backstory do I want in the story I'm reading? That's right. Because sometimes there's not enough backstory. And I'm like, do you expect I, I don't it. really actually remember that because I read it like three years ago. That's yep. how I work. And so but other times there's like way too much. I'm just <laughs> like, you're retelling the whole story. Why did I read the first story? Exactly. Yeah. Which makes right me here. think about where teachers sometimes are like, oh, we're going to do all this other practice. In some yes. ways, you're like going back and retelling part of the old story. That's right. How does that story fit into the new part of the story? Well, and let's say you missed that first story and mm-hmm. you're reading the second story, you can still yeah. understand what's going on because there's enough trickled in. A little bit, right? Yeah. Like there's a little bit like, okay, I get it in the context. Right. I might not know the specific details, but yeah. I loved also which, when we were talking about the what ifing and changing things around, it made me mm-hmm. think about our last episode where we were talking about Get Funky mm-hmm. Day and challenging the status yeah. quo. And I was like, oh. <laughs> it also made me think a little bit of like that whole, we just sort of accept what the way we were taught as the way it should be. Yes. And and those become our beliefs without without questioning sometimes. And there's so much more possibility that if we can be flexible and, and broaden our, our ideas and thinking about it. And hopefully, hopefully a little bit of this conversation and, and CPM learning progression helps people kind of think through those things. Yeah. And I think thinking that way too, really, students see that in, in your approach. Mm-hmm. And then they start to think, well, maybe I could th- think of something mm-hmm. different. Maybe I could ask a different yeah. question. Oh, yeah. And the curiosity, that piece of it, the whole, mm-hmm. like, I want to know the answer. Yeah. yeah. I love it when kids are like, <laughs> but I want to know this. And I'm like, you have to wait till calculus. What? Mm-hmm. But that's where you figure it out. What? That's not fair. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a long story. It's a long story this time. It's like, you can't see the last Harry Potter. <laughs> exactly. Well, I would just, yeah, you want me to like, it's spoiler. It's a spoiler alert. Spoiler yeah. alert. But I, you're going to learn this later. For more information and to stay connected with CPM happenings, you can find CPM on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our intro music is one of the very talented contributions that you can find on pixabay.com. Thank you, Julius H., for your creation. Join us for the next episode of More Math for More People. What day will It'll that be? It'll be November told? 2nd. National Deviled Eggs Day. And I'm reminded of a story my daughter Samantha, when they were making some deviled eggs one time, they were much younger than they are now. And uh, just Samantha loves salt. And Samantha also thinks that I love salt. And so Samantha made the deviled eggs with way too much salt, but uh, we all ate them with a smile on our face and they were delicious, just a little too salty. But it's fun to think about National Deviled